Hello and welcome back to my podcast, I Stand Strong. This is Teddy coming at you from my bear cave in the concrete jungle of the beautiful Northwest. Um, last week I talked about the fact that my music, how music shaped, you know, shapes, kind of shapes who I am and, you know, like what I like, like what, what I like and what I, you know, what I can recognize had a cultural appeal, even if it's not my favorite. Um... As well as some other, you know, like other things like, you know, how it, it helps me with my depression issues. Um, but today I'm going to go into another, another one of my loves that has been around for a while. I was on and off on it for a long time and that's my comics. Um, I'm, I'm a huge Thor fan, but there, there are so many comics that I think are, are really outstanding out there, but, um. I guess I'll give a little, little backstory to my comics. You know, of course I read them when I was younger. I remember I got given, uh, my parents were going out of town and my dad had a military friend come by to watch me and my older sisters for that, that point in time. And she brought, I to this day have not tracked down the issue, but it was an issue of Excalibur. Which is an offshoot of the X Men, which had you know like Sh- uh, Shadow Cat slash Kitty Pride. Um, see, there was uh, Nightcrawler, Captain Britain, a couple other, uh, um, couple other pretty decent, uh, like obs- kind of more obscure characters, really in the long run. But uh, and I just remember being fascinated by this book that had. I guess you could say pictures, but it's like, it was way more than just like, you know, reading a picture book. It had such dynamic work, especially once I figured out the, you know, the way to figure out the structure of the comic, you know, I mean, the panels, reading panels can be kind of daunting sometimes, especially if you're really not used to the form, it can get kind of confusing to, you know, figure out where you go next with a panel. But um, that really made me think that, you know, that there was something else out there other than regular books. I mean, don't get me wrong. I am a huge reader. I have a metric shit ton of books and comics. The people who have last helped me move will definitely uh, back me up on how many comics I have and how heavy those boxes get. But, um, but so... Then, you know, for a while, you know, I, I remember there were a couple comics I found here and there. Like, uh, I remember me and my be- uh, my best friend from the sixth grade, Drew, used to go back and forth on swapping this one issue of Iron Man. I keep meaning to look up the the num- specific number of it. I've looked it up a couple times because I've been trying to find the issue again. And it just had Tony Stark on the front of it, you know, arms crossed. Obviously, like in a coffin, it says... Uh, the death of Tony Stark. And it was this, it was one of those books that, you know, for some reason me and my buddy would just trade it back and forth. I mean, I, I lost track of how many times I read it. So I kind of want to get that one just for the, the nostalgia feel of it. I mean, I, I don't even remember if it's a good read right now or not, but, um, and then I fell out for a, quite a while with comics and then, 
I got back in touch with my my current best one of my current best friends, Tony, who when I first met him was dating one of my sisters, and we used to play games all the time. And I think I remember knowing he was a comic fan, but not really knowing how deep he was. But when me and him really started connecting again and talking, I really kind of fell back in love with it through him, you know, and he introduced me to some great stuff like uh, a lot of the better image stuff that came out early, like the uh, the Wildcats stuff, specifically the Alan Moore Wildcats run, which was really it really played subtly into a story of class and race. Um, like in how there's the bias of, of in the, this category, you know, and it was this really interesting read that I, I think that was the first one that really showed me, man, comics can really be different than just your typical superhero stuff. But then because of him, I also got addicted to, um, uh, Gen 13, which is, still one of my favorite groups and I really wish they'd do a really good reimagining of it. I think the last one that uh last one that came out that was good was by Gail Simone in probably ninety their late nineties, early two thousands. But um but yeah, through him I really kind of started falling in love with him again. And then around my thirtieth birthday, I think was when I really kicked it off again. Um because I I was going to get a tattoo for when I hit 30. And originally I was going to get a Michael Jordan piece on the back of my right calf because I'm such a huge Jordan fan. But through talking with Michelle and Tony at the time, they really kind of talked me out of it, which I'm kind of glad they did because I was going to get this, you know, pretty much um, color realism tattoo of like a couple different, uh, famous images of Jordan, you know, one of being, one of which being, you know, him holding the, the, the championship trophy just after his dad had passed away and he's, you know, got his head against it and he's crying. Um, but so they talked me out of it and I, I'm, I'm glad they did because I ended up getting my favorite Thor image which I had seen, but I'd never read the comic from it. I had just always seen this one image, and it's Thor standing in the rain, and he's got his head down, obviously sad about something. He's got Cap's shield in one hand and Iron Man Iron Man's helmet in the other. And I remember at first thinking it had to be because of Civil War, because, you know, that's the whole fight between Cap and... Uh, Cap and Iron Man, so I thought maybe, you know, like Thor would have been, you know, in the middle of that, and that would have been kind of, you know, his problem of choosing which friend does he side with. But then I found out it was actually part of their Ultimates universe, and the cover had nothing to do with the story that happened on the inside, which is kind of a universal thing in the long run of comics, unfortunately. But, um, but yeah, so I, I fell in love, and now I've got quite the collection going of you know, the comics that have really stood out to me. And God, it's been a while, but a while ago, me and my buddy did had, we, we still have a, uh, a website where, we, you know, we haven't posted anything on it in a long time, but where we were doing like comic reviews where he'd, you know, he'd pick a book for me to read and I'd read it and review it, or I'd pick a book for him, or we would do stuff like, you know, 
if you could have your dream team of the X-Men or Avengers who would be on it, that kind of thing. Um, but uh, then we did, at one point in time, we did a, a article together that was the best books, best comics to give to a na- non-comic reader to really introduce them to the, the format, to the, you know, to what it can be. And I feel like I want to revisit that and kind of share, you know, in this format, you know, some of those books. Um, I've got a list going, but I think I'm, you know, I, I, we'll, we'll see if I'll pare it down as I talk. Um, but so, yeah, I, I think I'm going to share my my favorite books that I feel would be good to give to a non-comic reader. And some of these I've actually handed off to two non-comic book readers to see what they think and whether they've stuck through them or not, they recognize the beauty of the stories. Um, so yeah, I guess I'll, uh, I'll just go with that. So, uh, for starters, I will go with why, why the last man by Brian K. Vaughn and, oh shoot, I did not write down the artist. Give me just a second. Uh, oh, R.M. Guerra. Sheesh, that's a name that'll pop back up again later. Um, but anyways, uh, so I chose um, this. This is a good starting one because there's actually a TV show that started recently. Unfortunately, it's already been canceled because it was filmed mostly before the pandemic hit. And they would have to renegotiate with all the actors and everything. So they canceled the show halfway through the first season. Which is sad because it is probably one of the most beautiful stories ever written. Um, uh, uh, the the rough story is, um, it follows Yorick, a kind of down and out guy. He's, you know, they they kind of make make hints that he's really not making much of his life at the moment, but he's got a girlfriend that's in Australia that, you know, she's off with some group. I can't remember what she's doing in Australia, but she's there and they're on the phone and he's about to propose to her, but then the phone cuts out. So he never gets to, and then it flashes forward, you know, a couple months and everything with a Y chromosome is now dead. Just like this one day, mysteriously, everything with a Y chromosome just died. Um, actually, I want to say it actually does show the day that it all hits. Cause I mean, that it was, but anyways, it's the same day he's, this whole thing happens with his girlfriend, but, um, and for some reason, uh, Yorick and his monkey ampersand are the only two things with a Y chromosome that still, that are still alive. Minus, I think there's like a, a male in space, but because he was on Earth, the virus didn't get him. But uh, so you've got this this story of a guy who's, yeah, the last man on Earth. And it starts as a very kind of fun, kind of like, you know, what would what would it be like to be the, first, the last man on Earth? But then... As it goes, it starts really developing into this story of 
what the world becomes and he starts seeing what the world is you know with you know with women running everything it's it's not a bad world it's just like but him being the only man is all of a sudden like you know he's this ultimate pawn like he's the ultimate currency you know every everybody wants him either a to breed him try to breed him b to use him as some kind of trade you know trade to get the ultimate supplies or whatever and then you've got a group of women called the Amazon that call themselves the Amazons and they uh they want to kill him because they don't want to let any uh they believe that this was meant to happen and women you know all men were supposed to die so he needs to die too um but all Yorick wants is to get to Australia and find his his girlfriend and tell her you know and propose to her and live happily ever after with her and his monkey um but you know you know I'm not I'm not going to get into too many spoilers because you know just in case you 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 listen to this and you want to read it but it is a very deep story to the point that, I mean, eventually you, you get to the point where you find out his mother still, you know, you find it, he finds his mother who worked somewhere in Washington, D.C. And she's basically now the president because of all the men above her have now perished due to this virus. Um, And she, when she finds out Yorick is still alive, she basically sends this special agent named agent uh 355 55 good lord it's been so apparently it's been a while since i've read it anyway she sends this agent to protect him and you know help him out basically but it's yeah just to kind of without going to spoilers it's just this beautiful story of this guy that is now the last man on earth and how he negotiates this world um and how this world reacts to him really and you know it's it's heartbreaking at points um you know i remember there's points where i want to say it's agent 355 but um the agent real you know realizes that he's not taking the 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 threat to his life seriously so she you know she really starts pushing on that no you need to you need to be careful because you never know what anybody's intentions are so it's but yeah it's it's highly highly recommended it is probably one of the best books i've ever read specifically in comics but in general the story is just beautiful and it's really a shame the show got canceled before it could get going because it is amazing um but yeah it's probably like eight trades nine trades sorry ten trades long so it's you know quite a few issues you know if you go by you know most trades are five to six issues you got anywhere between 50 and 60 issues but I highly suggest picking up the trades. I'm pretty sure by now they've even got um, compendiums that collect more than one trade in one. It's up there. It's it's got to be read. I mean the art, 
the the Brian K. Vaughn writing, I mean, Brian K. Vaughn is, is an amazing writer as it is, but then Aram Guerra comes in with some beautiful art that really, you know, the the ability at a couple points in time for the emotion to be captured in faces or the subtle emotions to be captured in faces is just amazing. Um so yeah, so that'll be why the last man. And now I will go to one that's a little a little more hard to to really explain because it's so just a down-to-earth story, which is called Strangers in Paradise by Terry Moore. Um not really a lot to have to explain with this one. It's basically just the story of these two girls that in high school, of course, one of them was very straight-laced. The other one was very, you know, kind of the troublemaker, the rebellion. And they're on-again, off-again of love story. And it really is just this down-to-earth story. I mean, you don't have anything supernatural really going on. You don't have any, you know, there's nothing like that. It's just a story about people being... Um. And also Terry Moore, who does both art and writing, he nails these characters. I mean, even down to like, and, and they're just, they're characters. I mean, like the, the main girl is, she's not, you know, a beauty queen by any means. I mean, she's not, she's not unattractively drawn, but she's, you know, she's heavier set and she's not, you know, she's not, she's definitely not like what you see in most <laughs> Most comics for men, I'll put it that way. Um, and then you have her friend Kachu, who's or Cat, who's you know a little more thin, you know, blonde, more your typical bombshell. But she's also got issues, so it's mostly just a personal drama about these two girls, um, who, like I said, they kind of in and out. Their their relationship is on again, off again, whether it's friend friendship or it's, you know, something more because it, it's very clear that the two love each other on more than just a, a friendly level, but you definitely have a lot of argument, especially in the main character. God, I'm really horrible about remembering names off the top of my head right now, but she's constantly fighting with those feelings, you know, I mean, everything she's been told is against this. But it's a once again beautiful story, just down to earth, you know. But it's once again it's it's a must read. I mean, it does have a little bit of it does have a little bit of a action and adventure towards the latter part. But that you know, I'm not going to get into that because that's kind of spoiler territory. And it is a it is a fairly long series. Um, I was fortunate enough to get a hold of the compendium of the whole thing, which is still not easy to hold because it's two massive books. But they, you know, it's black and white art, but you don't need the color for it. It's just this great story. But then, of course, you know, and then in, 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 dis, you know, dispersed throughout these, these issues, you also have these issues of the main characters, like ex-boyfriend and like the misadventures of him. And there's just these quick little one-shot stories, but every one of them is gold for just the comedic value of them. Um... <clears throat> You know, so it's a, 
It's it's another one I suggest, but that one's a little harder to get a hold of as far as I've ever checked. I mean, like I said, I just happened to get the compendium because I was working at a comic shop at the time. And they got one in, and I had enough in-store credit, so I put the, I think it was 150 for it down because it's such a big, big collection. And I, I have not regretted it since. But again, you can't go wrong with anything Terry Moore's done that I've read at least. You know, Strangers in Paradise, Echo, which is a little more supernatural. Um, I've never gotten around to reading any of his other ones, but I really do need to. Because <clears throat> they all end up kind of being in the same universe in the long run. Um, so, okay, Strangers in Paradise. Oh, okay, now this one, it, I will I will rave to the high heavens, and I will also say... Watch the TV show on net the Netflix original show for it, and that's Lock and Key, written by Joe Hill, who is if you don't know is Stephen King's son. You see a picture of him, you can't mistake the two. You can't mistake him. But uh, and art by Gabriel Rodriguez, and this is a story of. At the heart of it is a story about family, but. It's very supernatural and it's very horror comic um, because it it begins with this former student of the father, uh, Rendell, and he comes to the, the lock house while they're, you know, they're they're doing some like renovations or whatever. And he, you know, the kid and his his friend come by to uh, see Mr. Locke. You know, and when Rendell comes to the door, they brutally murder him with an axe. And it completely fucks up this family. Well, because of this tragedy, they decide to move to Rendell's ancestral ancestral home, Key House. And it's in, I want to say Lovecraft is what they call the... Uh, the city, which I thought was, or this town, which I thought was really funny. Um, but they move there, and when they get there, they the the kids, as messed up as they are from the death of their father, and and the mothers just completely destroyed. But um, they so they move back into this this giant mansion, and the kids start finding these keys. And these keys have various magical properties. You know, there's a key that unlocks a certain door. And if you go through that door, it allows your spirit to go out of your body. And your body just lays there on one side of the door and your spirit can roam wherever. Or there's a key, the head key, which allows you to unlock, you know, it, it, if the head key is near somebody, a keyhole shows up in the back of their neck. And if you insert the key and turn it, it opens up their head and you can like, see their thought processes basically and it even allows you to you can take things out or put things in um to your thoughts and it allows you to learn that stuff in fact there's some really funny stuff with the youngest son Bodhi when they first find the the head key um they put a cookbook in his head to test like will he learn this stuff and so he, they put the cookbook in his head, they take the key out, and they ask him, like, a certain recipe they knew was in there. And the kid's like, oh, yeah, you do this, 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 this. He's like, I just have one question. What's a tisp? Because 
he was so young he didn't know what a teaspoon the tsp meant teaspoon um but anyways so the but that's that's kind of a here nor there kind of thing but as the book goes you start finding out that there's there's some secret secrets in the father's past around this house that are going to come back it's kind of the you know the the sins of the father are uh, are left to the kids kind of thing um because you know yeah Bodie in the, the first volume you know Bodie befriends this voice in the well house and you know it becomes his best friend cuz his his older brother and his sister are both kind of uh you know because of their where they're at they're you know they kind of ignore him a lot he's you know he's the annoying little brother um so really for the most part the book is kind of he's your point of view character in many ways to me because you know he's the one that's got like just a, such a fanciful imagination that finding these keys is just great to him but as the other kids start finding the keys they start realizing the power that these things can have um and yeah but anyway so the, uh, eventually there's there is a a big bad that comes back from the past and the whole mystery then becomes what is what happened in the past to make this this villain why were they where they were when they found them um eh, minor spoilers the 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 person in the well house ends up being this person that knew their father that was that was turned evil by the power of the keys kind of <clears throat> there's more to it but that's that's the the just um so as the books go you kind of like you start inter getting introduced to more of the keys as well as you start really filming filling out this family dynamic because you know you have the you have Tyler uh the oldest son who's very much upset because he was angry with his dad when his dad just before his dad died and the last conversation they had was not a pleasant one and he actually knew the kid he was friends with the kid that killed his father um so he almost uh blames himself for it and then you have kenzie who's the daughter and she's she's very much facing a lot of ptsd from the day it happened because she she feels there's more she could have done she you know but she she did what she had to do to survive and to protect people she cared about in that moment and unfortunately it meant she didn't she didn't do much to help anything but the mother is the most heartbreaking story because she turns to extreme alcoholism so for most of the story it's the kids are pretty much taking care of themselves because their mother is just broken um and in fact there's a there's an incredibly heartbreaking moment to do with her um with one of the keys i i'm not going to get into that one because that's a that's a thing that needs to be read on its own but anyways yeah she, when she she discovers a single key that keys magic and the outcome isn't great for her um, and it's it's heartbreaking. But um and then you also get 
their uncle, the the father's brother, younger brother, who has always been kind of the caretaker of the house since Rendell kind of, you know, when he left, he wanted nothing to do with this house anymore. So the, the, bro- the brother took it over and now he's kind of floats in and out of helping the family. And he's got his own little tragic stories in the past, but it's, it's beautifully drawn. It's hard to read at points because of some of the, some of the the truly grounded horror of it but then it's also got these great lighthearted moments and i mean and i i'd be lying if i said it wasn't it didn't have gore cuz i mean there is a lot of blood a lot of creepy stuff happens um especially around the 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 when the main villain really starts coming into his own uh dodge um if you've if you've watched the first season, I know the second season just aired. I haven't got around to watching it yet, but if you've watched the first season, you know a rough estimate. I mean, they change a lot in it, but I understand the changes they made. Um, but yeah, Gabriel Rodriguez delivers a hell of a good amount of art to this. I mean, it's it's a little cartoony, but it never feels like it doesn't fit the thing and that almost gives a little more of a disturbing feeling when you have the the really disturbing stuff happening because you've got this little bit of cartoony art with this incredibly heavy violence or whatever that just almost doesn't mesh together well um or it shouldn't mesh together well but it does um but like my 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 favorite part of the showing a lighthearted moment is there's a single issue that is just Bodhi finds a key that will allow him to become an animal um, by going through, you know, by using this key, he can become an animal. So the whole thing is drawn very much like Calvin and Hobbes style. And it's just an episode or an issue of him being a little bird for, for, an, for an issue. And it's this great little break. Because I, if I remember right, it happens right after some like really deep, deep, dark stuff hits. And they have this this you know this issue of him just running around being a a bird, and it's this great little breakup that allows you to kind of decompress from the heavy and get ready for the next wave. And that is that is a book I will I will highly suggest to anybody, especially horror fans. I mean, if, if you like Stephen King, his son Joe Hill is. God, he's got everything his father's. I I almost think there's points where his he Joe Hill is a better writer than his father at points. Um, you know, I've I've read a couple of his books, and even his not like his regular novels are amazing. But this is to me his standout work. And you know, and they you know, aside from the actual trades they've done, they've actually done quite a few one shots which go into the history of the Locke family and explain like how this, all the keys kind of got started. Um, and they explain you know, the, the ultimate thing of the Omega door. Um, but yeah, if, if, if you want to read a good horror slash great family drama, that's one to go with. Um, Okay, 
here's another he- here's a heavier one for you scalped by jason aaron and rm gara again um really great art once again i mean gara hits it but this one this one's a little harder to define it's uh it's basically the story of this guy who when he was young he ran away from he he's native american in i want to say it's wyoming is where his his reservation was but he runs away from the reservation after his father goes missing and all these other things happen he was kind of a troublemaker and he joins the military and years later he comes back to the reservation um to kind of make peace with his mother as well as a couple other things but then you you know but that's you know i think it's fairly early in the book it reveals so it's really not much of a not much of a spoiler but you know that he his main reason for coming back is he's now working for the fbi undercover to basically infiltrate this corruption on the reservation uh led by like basically the head of the reservation who's trying to get a casino put in and it's it's kind of a you know like a goodfellas but on on a reservation i don't even think goodfellas is a good explanation but it's it's a kind of a gangster drama with that i mean because you know he of course he gets in there with he gets in with the with the the group and has to start you know, of course, because he's in this corrupt situation now, he has to start doing things he doesn't 100% agree with. But he has to keep his cover because he has to get the evidence he needs to bring uh, bring the, the head down. And it is oftentimes brutal to read, um, which is something Jason Aaron is really good at is is keeping it compelling, but at the same time, giving you moments that are almost hard to deal with. Um, because yeah, he comes back, he starts, you know, he he gets reunited with his um his girlfriend that he or an, an ex girlfriend he had when he used when he was living on the reservation who is a drug addict so there's a lot of a lot of drug use um but then you've got like the there's ancillary characters that just stand out as being amazing and once again jason aaron i mean he he does a great main story but much like it, it seems like any great comic there's these there's single issues that stand out that are not really fitting into the main story, but they still tie in somewhere. Um, they still have an effect on the greater story, but they're not to do with the main characters. And there's one specific that's in that's in this one that just follows these this old couple at the very very edge of the reservation who you know they're really not part of the the main group of people. They choose to live on the outskirts and their life on the outskirts of the reservation. Um, and yeah, it's, it's tough, but it's beautiful. And I mean, it, it has very much the, the sins of the father kind of thing does play out in this a little bit. Um, 
as well as you know the can you ever really escape you know your your past or you know your your destiny almost i mean it it does almost sometimes feel like it was his you know he was never going to truthfully escape the reservation and once again i'm not going to get i don't want to spoil anything so i'm just going to kind of leave it there that it's a a great kind of hard-boiled crime drama on a reservation you don't have to know much about i mean it does a pretty good job at explaining you know how this life on the reservation goes and how how these things are are playing out and at the same time gives you this great personal drama of this guy fighting against his nature and what he has to do to get the job done um so now now I'll turn to something a little bit happier Let's go with a little thing by Brian O'Malley, which you can't go wrong with anything by Brian O'Malley. Uh, Brian Lee O'Malley, sorry. But his magnum opus to me, the Scott Pilgrim books, which if you've seen the movie, it's a great movie. It does everything it needs to do to be a fun movie and capture most, I will not say all, but most of the the fun and the references that are in the Scott Pilgrim books. But at the same time, its biggest mistake was it combined seven volumes of the book into one movie. One, what, hour and 45 minute movie. So it really doesn't give you the time to breathe with with some of the stuff. Um, But if you haven't read it, it's basically this... (laughs) Uh, loser kid in Canada <laughs> who not really going anywhere. He's dating a high schooler, like a like a freshman or a sophomore high schooler, and he's college age. Um, lives with his his gay roommate, who's just a complete sar- complete sarcastic asshole, but is exactly what Scott needs to keep him in check. And one day he is dreaming and this girl skates through his dream because it's the quickest way between portals. You know, her, the portals she needs to use to do her package deliveries just happens to go through his dreams. And he falls in love with her and he's afraid to tell his girlfriend, Knives, um, this. But he, you know, he's fallen in love with Ramona and he's doing everything he can to kind of meet her and woo her and one day he it it happens you know she 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 agrees to go on a date with him but she tells him if they're gonna be more serious he's gonna have to beat her seven evil exes and he's like i i don't really know what that means but okay and next thing he knows you know he he's in this band called sex bob and they're about to perform at a battle of the bands. And just after they perform, this random guy just comes flying in and attacks Scott. And he has no clue why this guy's fighting him. But and he doesn't really want to fight. But at the same time, you know, he he's forced to, and he 
he fights him, and as he once he beats him, the um, character explodes into coins, much like a Mario situation, which thus brings in the references. It's very heavy on the 80s video game and pop culture references everywhere throughout this book. But, and that's his first entry into, you know, it, it's hit her first evil ex. And so she kind of starts with, no, you have to beat my seven evil exes to to officially be able to date me. And it becomes quite the quite the funny thing because like each book basically focuses on one ex coming after Scott. Um, and it's completely fantastical, like talking about, you know, when he met the drummer of his band, he dated her for a while and he he defeated like all the minions of this this big bad boss to to woo her including you know when he got to the boss he punched him so hard he flew into the atmosphere and saw the curvature he could see the curvature of the earth and you know just just to show you how fantastical it is i mean it's it's completely ridiculous i mean you've got people pulling weapons out of bags that should not be holding giant mallets and stuff like that so it's it's very fantastical a lot of fun but at the same time, it does have some decent, you know, regular person drama hidden in there. I mean, you've got this kid that's, you know, he starts questioning, should he be fighting this situation? He starts questioning himself. Um, You get into some of the later evil exes and you, you start seeing, like, who Ramona actually could be. And it's just this, this fun story. I... I highly suggest it because it is just so much fun. And especially if you like the 80s pop culture stuff, um, it's a must. It's, set, I want to say seven vol- seven or eight volumes, actually. Because I want to say there's one volume where he's not facing an evil ex. But, um, but yeah, it's, it's one of those books that just, it should be, I think, it, you know, if, if you're a child of the 80s, it's, it's got to be there. And I mean, I, I also suggest the movie because um, even though Michael Sarah is probably the weakest part of the casting to that who plays Scott in it, he still does a great job in that movie. That whole movie is just awesome. Um, great visuals. Uh, really plays with the format of the movie a little bit. A little bit breaking the fourth wall here and there. Um, but yeah, so Scott Pilgrim, read it. Um, okay, um, here's one that's a little more out there, uh, it's called Black Sad. It is a pulp noir story, like very 1920s private eye, except it centers on a world of anthropomorphic animals. More specifically, the main character, Black Sad, is a anthropomorphic black cat, you know, always smoking a cigarette, always wearing his long trench coat. And the like there's three volumes last time I checked. Um, I've only got the first two because the third one was kind of hard for me to find. But it's yeah, it's it's a pulp noir story of, you know, like each one follows a case. I think actually the first one follows like has like two different cases hidden in it because it was actually two different stories. But the the writers 
Oh, okay, let me see. The writer is Diaz Canelis. And I might be completely massacring these names, and I am sorry if I am. And the artist is Guarnido. Um, and from what I remember, they worked early with Disney um, on some of the earlier Disney movies. Um, I can't remember specifically which ones, but they did that. And when they broke away, they started doing this series. And it is a originally, uh, I want to say it's Spanish because of the name, you know, because of the name, I'm pretty sure it was Spanish, but it was, it's, it's originally foreign, but it was translated into American, you know, into English and brought over to America. And it is just some amazing noir detective stories, um, and it does do some pretty interesting stuff with tackling, you know, race or, you know, the, you know, the, the, once again, the class systems within this world. I mean, of course, you know, there's, you know, like I remember there's one story that centers around a, uh, a group of polar bears, which are you know, very much a, uh, they're an allegory. They're, they're in very much they're they're white supremacists. I mean, it's like, they believe, you know, if you're not the, the white, a white furred animal, you you're, you're lesser than they are. And there's a murder at the top of this organization and black sat is brought in to, uh, find out, even though I think it's ironic because they hire a black cat to do this investigation. But you've also got some beautiful stories that involve, you know, like the hazards of drug use and, you know, stuff like that. But it's it's beautifully drawn, amazingly written. And if you like a detective story, you know, you're, you're, you're a sucker for a good detective story, you know, like, I, I, and I am, you know, I love, um, oh... The Grey Walker, which kind of, it's a Grey Walker book series, which kind of mixes a private investigator with supernatural elements, very similar to the Dresden Files by Jim Butcher. But I love those ones. And then um, I can't remember the writer, but he does uh, the Harry Bosch series. And the Harry Bosch series is just a straight up detective series. Really good. Um, but yeah, this, this book basically has anything like a, a crime crime noir person would want to read this book has it but it just uses anthropomorphic animals for its its characters which gives it this whole new dynamic plus like i said amazingly illustrated um i remember the the first time i flipped through it you know i'd heard it was really good and i i really wasn't deep into the the pulpy noir books at the time but I want to say yeah, I was working at the comic shop and I was working for, there was a creator that had come in, uh, which I'm happy to say I've met several times named Jeff Parker, I believe is who it was. It was talking about it and he was talking about, they had collected it and brought it in. I'm like, okay, well I saw it on the shelf. So I flipped it open. I was looking at this art and it was just, it was brilliant to me. Just, I mean, just the art sold it for me. So I, I picked up the first volume and I devoured that first volume quickly. I mean, it, they are they are quick reads, 
But there's also like a lot of beauty in the fact that you can go through and you could read that whole book and get the whole story, but then you can go back through and look through panels and see stuff you might have missed when you were reading through it normally. You know, you would find little things hidden in the background that are just these beautiful details that really go above and beyond sometimes. Um, probably also one of the the best books for really playing with, you know, like light and shadow um, art-wise. I mean, there, there's a lot of good books that do it, but this one just seems to, like, because of the the subject matter, it, it really finds it well. Um, and it's it's got some, tra- you know, it's got the, the tragic stuff that you'd expect from the, you know, the the flawed 20s detective story. So, um, and I plan on picking up the third volume as soon as I can find my, get it at a good price. But that's a complete other story. Okay, now we will go to... Okay, here's one I put out there with an asterisk. And that is Preacher. Do not judge this book based on the TV show that came out. The TV show, I've watched the first season, and it was hard to watch. I liked the actors. It wasn't what the story should be. It is... And here's why I give it an asterisk. It's a great story. Next to Why the Last Man, second most beautiful. I know I go back and forth on whether Preacher or Why the Last Man is the most beautiful story ever written in comic form. But so I'll put it as a tie with Why the Last Man. It's one of the greatest stories ever written, but it has the unfortunate distinction to really play heavily into religion. Um, It's written by Garth Ennis who is known for being controversial. I mean, he's he's written some amazing books, but almost all of his books have something quite... Conf- uh, <sighs> quite controversial with them. Um, and he, he makes no bones about the fact he, he, he wants to push the limits. Um, I met him once, got him to sign an issue for me, and he was the nicest guy. And he's totally not what you'd expect after reading most of his books. Um, he still has the the quintessential Punisher run in my eyes as far as making the Punisher a great character. But not being afraid to make it clear that you shouldn't be rooting for this guy. But anyways, Preacher is about Jesse Custer, a, a very small town preacher. Like he's the preacher of this church in a small town in Texas. And... He's out drinking one night and he, he snaps, you know, he's, he's broke. He's a broken man. It's pretty clear. He's, he's not happy with where he is in life. And he says some stuff to some people at the bar. He probably shouldn't have that also are supposed to be in church the next morning. And so he plans on when he goes into church before starting the sermon to apologize to anybody that was there because he realized he was out of line and he, you know, he needs to get his act together. But before he can do so, this entity that escapes from heaven crashes into, uh, crashes into his church and kills everybody in the church except for him. It bonds to him and his name is Genesis and it gives him a power called the word of God, which thus allows him to, if he uses the word of God and he tells you to do something, 
you have to do it no matter what it is. Um, very similar to if you've read or watched Dune, the Ben Jesuit, the voice, very similar, except way more explored in this. Um, but anyways, because of this, this death, this, this mass death of his clergy and his, he's already having his, you know, kind of his questioning, questioning his life. He finds out through Genesis being part of him that God is basically an absentee father at this point in time. He is not in, he's not in heaven. He hasn't been watching heaven for, you know, for a while now. He's, he's gone or God is gone and somewhere on earth. So Jesse decides he's had enough. He is going to go find God and he's going to kick his ass for, for not being what he should be. Um, and yeah, I mean, that's the core of it. But then, you know, he, through his adventures, he ends up reconnecting with, um, this ex-girlfriend of his tulip. God, that's a reoccurring thing, isn't it? An ex-girlfriend that they re, you know, reconnect with. But, um, anyway, so he reconnects with tulip who is now like a hit, you know, like doing hits for people, but she's not really great at it. Um, and the way that him and Tulip broke it off really wasn't clean, but it's clear they still have feelings for each other. So you have that dynamic that starts building, but then you throw in Cassidy, who is a vampire, an Irish vampire. And he is everything that is bad with humanity in one, one skinny bag of oh my god. But... He is so such the lovable asshole for a majority of that book. He is a great character, even though you hate him with every fiber of your being for for the way he is. So they almost like to me, between Tulip and Cassidy, you end up with like very much with this angel and devil on his shoulders. But because of his now having this power of a god that he should not have, um, there are now the forces of heaven have unleashed people to try to stop him. Um, namely the, uh, oh god, angel of death, I think is what I want to say is what they called him. Oh god, I can't remember, but he's this very tough like you know he he looks like almost like a, a a white version of Danny Trejo as a as a a gunslinger i mean very pitted face very rough looking but he's known for you cannot stop him once you rele- once you release him he is the unstoppable force and of course, that leads to some interesting interactions when they come head to head. But then you also have like, you come to find out there is a organization that doesn't want also doesn't want Jesse to go too far because they're there to protect the bloodline of Jesus. So they're basically protecting God's bloodline, but they're really not great people. Um, 
And so they want to kill him because basically his existence with this word of God can basically uh, take away any power the the heir of Jesus would have. Um, so like I said, it's it's kind of a sketchy thing if you're if you're if you're creeped by religion and you're not okay with somebody really questioning reli- the 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 basics of religion in many ways. Um, so much fucked up shit happens in this book that I can't even begin to explain. Um, I will say you get some some interesting side characters um, in. You know, his, you you find out Jesse, you find out a little bit about Jesse Custer's grandmother, who's just queen bitch of the universe in many ways, and she's got these two like redneck guys working for her to try to bring Jesse back and make sure he's living up to his potential by her standards. And you have, um, I want to say it's in the first, yeah, it has to be in the first volume. They introduce Arseface who is a teenage boy who, while listening to Nirvana, decided he was going to blow his fa- blow his head off with a shotgun, just like Kurt Cobain, but it didn't work, so he's just extremely mangled face, and he can't really talk very clearly, so every time he talks, it's just like these mumbles in the, the, the boxes, or in the, the word bubbles, and it makes... For a very interesting character, and he gets the name Arseface because when he meets Cassidy, Cassidy tells him he has an Arseface. And from then on, he's he's known as Arseface. I cannot remember his real name because, let's face it, they never really make it very clear. Or, or they, they really don't call him by that enough. Um, but yeah, so it's, you know, at its heart, it's a story about a man fighting with his his faith in a way you know literally wants to fight with his faith because he wants to beat up god but um as well as you know really kind of experiencing the seedier side of the world through this adventure and he sees stuff that or they they do stuff in that book that it it's meant to repulse you because that's that's Garth Ennis's way. He wants to push the envelope. He wants you to be uncomfortable with this, but at the same time, get the core of the story. You know, understand that it's it's a beautiful story. I mean, it's it's really a western at its heart in many ways. Um, and there's also some great little moments with uh, like the, you know, the the Jiminy Cricket, I guess you could say, to Custer. His you know his conscience in many ways is personified by John Wayne. They never call him that. I don't think they ever call him that, but it's very clear it's John Wayne. Um, and so that plays parts, but then I'd be remiss if I didn't say just if you're going to read it, you're, you, you're, you're okay with that. The Gamora Society is all I'm going to say as far as like the peak of fucked up. There's a point where he induces a place called the Gamora Society. And it's exactly, if you know your Bible stories, it's exactly what you'd expect. Not going to get into details. Um, okay, I guess I'll get one. Yeah, I'll get. I'll, I'll do a quick one and then I'll get the last little note out of the way. Um, Stumptown by Greg Rucka and Matthew Southworth. 
And this one's kind of partial to me because Portland is a, or, well, I guess I said it. Portland, Oregon is a very big part. It's like a character in this story. And, you know, I live fairly close to Portland, so I know a lot of the landmarks it shows. So it's really cool to see that. But it's another private detective story about uh, Dex, is all I can remember her name is. And but it's a very grounded, um, it's a very grounded story, uh, very grounded uh, private eye story, you know, like the the second volume she's investigating a missing guitar. Um, but the brilliance of this series is it really kind of shows you some of the stuff you can do with the medium of comics. Um, I mean, yeah, it's, it's a, it's a really great story for private, a private detective story taking place in, in, like I said, taking place in, uh, Portland, but like in the second volume, I remember there's a car chase and anytime there, or there's a chase sequence and when they're running, everything's vertical panels, but then they get into cars and they have this long car chase and suddenly all the panels go horizontal so it gives you this really great kind of like dynamic feel with the medium, like with the medium of comics. It's only something you could do with comics really in many ways that it gives you this different feel from the different car chases. But at the same time, you know, Greg Rucka, you know, he, he's a, he's part of the foundation of Portland comic creators in my eyes, amazing writer. You know, you can tell he loves Portland and that's why he, he chooses to set it there. I want to say they actually did a TV show. I don't know if it's still going. I don't know if it got canceled. I, I'm pretty sure they did it, though, with Colby Smolders playing Dex. And I keep meaning to check it out. Um, but I'd almost be afraid that it wouldn't live up to my my thoughts on the series itself. But yeah, so that's, that's, a, that's a quick one. I, I suggest that one. Um, I think the only book I've seen really show... A test of like what uh, the the format of comics can do was the Batman Court of Owls series, where as he's going insane, the book rotates. It's like you have to physically rotate the book to read it. Um, that's beside the point. Um, now I'm going to get into one that I feel is a cornerstone of comics, but it could either be the best book to give somebody. For a starting, or it could be the worst, depending on how you look at it. And that is Watchmen by Alan Moore and Dave Gibbons. This book is Watchmen. You know, the movie was amazing. I will put it out there. I loved, I think it's Zack Snyder's best work. But then again, he had the script for him. You know, the script was the book. I mean, that book was perfect for an adaptation other than the fact that it was always known be known for being unfilmable because of how amazing the book is and how deep it is but okay for those aren't initiated it's it's probably the only superhero book on this but it's very grounded superheroes for the most part except for cap uh dr manhattan but it's it's pretty much the quintessential book about superheroes i mean you have this group of superheroes that are now on the you know kind of now forced away from it because of events that happened in the past and people turned against the superheroes 
So it's this very gritty take on where the superheroes of the past are now and how much the world kind of needs them again in a way. Um, but at the same time, do they, does the world really need them? Or are these people just so lost without having these superhero identities that they're kind of forcing the world to take them back as heroes? But anyways, the reason I say it's both the best and the worst is because one, it is, it is an amazing, it is an amazing read. Um, minus some small things that get kind of out there in the long run, but it's, it's an amazing read. It has, it, it shows the format in its brilliance, but that's also the problem is I feel that Watchmen, while being a great story and probably one of the quintessential books on every must read, it is also probably better experienced once you understand the format of comics a little better because it very much breaks it down to its simplicity. And because of that, you see, you can really see the beauty of it. Um, I mean, I'm, I'm going to lead towards saying it is the greatest one. So maybe it's, maybe it's the best way to put it is it's one of those ones you read it you if if it strikes you you get into so many other comics and you come back to it later and when you read it there's going to be so much more to it because of what alan moore does with the format itself that you don't really recognize um i'm a strong believer you also do not have to read all the side matter after the first time you read it once you're okay because i mean there's it's broken up with like each volume begins with a chapter from one of the old superheroes like autobiography um and then some of them go into the store this this there's a story between this kid and a guy uh like you know sitting in front of like a newsstand reading this comic the curse of the black freighter i believe is what it was called and that that stuff plays with the main story but at the same time it's 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 not necessary once you've read it once like the last couple times i've read Watchmen, which i think has been a couple years now which i means i need to probably break it out and read it again because i love it so much but um i haven't read it through again i i didn't feel the need to it's not something that's great that really it doesn't add a whole lot to it i will suggest you know like i will say the curse of the black freighter stuff is stuff you don't have to read um i do tend to reread the chapter stuff from the old the old memoir book because i feel it plays to the book well enough that it gives you more of a story to one of the old superheroes that helps you understand where you're at now um so yeah, I'm I'm gonna probably gonna end there because I I've gone a lot longer than I could, and I only have one other book on here, but it's kind of hard to explain, and it's a weirder one. So I'm gonna call it here, and I'm gonna say thank you for listening once again, and I'm gonna say if you want to get a hold of me, uh, you can reach me at my email of 
standstrongcast at gmail.com. I, you know, I'd love to hear from you. Let me know what you think. Let me know if you've read some of these books. You know, let me know what your thoughts on them are. Tell me if I'm completely full of shit. That's your opinion. And you can stand, I hope you stand strong on your opinions and I want to hear them. Um, so with that, I'm going to say thank you to everyone listening. I'm going to say thank you to Spider for my art, as I always do. And I'm going to thank, at this point in time, I don't have to say their names anymore. I'm just saying thank you to everybody who's close to me that's really supported me and helped me, you know, get up the strength to do this, to put myself out there. Um, so yeah, with that, I'm going to, I'm going to wish you all a, a great time and see you on my next episode. Bye-bye.